Hello, I'm Chris Kreitjo, and this is the Neurostation Podcast, a show about learning the Rust programming language. This is Interview One, Sean Griffin. Hi, Sean. Hello. Wait, this is an interview? Or talking about Rust or, or something like that. Nobody nobody told me this was an interview. I didn't screen any questions. I'm, I'm scared now. <laughs> you do this every week. Can we, can we please keep the questions limited to my upcoming r- movie, Rampart? <laughs> <laughs> we like can three people got that joke it's okay i wasn't one of them unfortunately but so sean is well i've mentioned him on the show a few times before because he's doing this crazy thing and writing an orm in rust and i've referenced it both as an interesting example of some of the type system as well as a thing you can go help so when he said hey i'd be happy to be on the show i said yes please so here we are and we're going to talk about rust and diesel and future plans and all of these things but uh sean why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you got into programming in general how long you've been at it all of that spiel um sure so i actually have a slightly different story um on getting into programming um so i grew up in albuquerque new mexico and my dad was very sick when i was younger and um we needed money and i was working in food service at the time then my back gave out and i couldn't really stand for long periods Hmm. of time so i found a job for a local company that did html and css or that rather they had their own custom cms which this was back in like 2004 and their big thing was that they allowed you to to upload your website as a word document oh gosh sounds terrible (laughs) but just think about how amazing that was in 2004 i can i can see the appeal Anyway, they were an ASP Classic shop, so I learned that, and then, yeah. Hmm. So that was about 11 years ago. So, yeah, and then here I am. I like hearing where people came from. I mean, I got my start because I was writing physics code, so ooh, Fortran was my first real programming experience, you know. Right. Uh, so I know you've come through the Ruby community. You are, as some of our listeners may know, if I've got this right, a core committer on Rails and the maintainer of Active Record, right? Correct. So Active Record for listeners is R- Ruby on Rails is ORM and is one of the better known ORMs out there, at least from what I've seen. So how in the world did you end up doing that? Well, so Aaron Patterson, who is a member of the Rails core team, uh, came to Denver once to speak at a meetup, and we went out for drinks afterwards, and I got really drunk and yelled at him about a feature that, that I thought should be a thing. And he's like, well, fine, you make it. And so I'm like, fine, I will. Uh, the thing I didn't realize was that it was going to take eight months of working on it full time and required rewriting like a lot of the framework, and then after that, it was just sort of... Hey, Sean, you want to come fix all of these other things? (laughs) The reason it wasn't there in the first place was because it was eight months worth of work, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, well, it was, incidentally, like, after I, after I got into that, um, I sort of discovered that I really only wanted to work on open source stuff. Mm. And so that was also how I ended up getting into full-time open source was then I quit my job when they said you couldn't do open source full-time or I couldn't do open source full-time. They didn't say that about you. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, uh, And then finding uh, my current gig, which I currently work for Shopify, and then they pay me to maintain Rails full-time. So how did you end up coming to Rust? So the first thing that I wrote that was serious in Rust, I don't actually remember how I discovered it originally, and I know I knew of Rust before this project, Mm. but um, during my final months at ThoughtBot, 
uh, one of our clients was a movie studio, and I was working on. I I, I incidentally became the 3D rendering engine guy there, which was <laughs> weird. Um, and so movie studio came and needed an augmented reality platform, so I was building that for them in C plus plus. And um, I'd been toying around with Rust a little bit and start and uh, started on my nights and weekends just porting this app over to Rust. Not necessarily ever with the intention to ship it to the client because I knew that if when that um, engagement ended they were going to go to another consultancy and not mm-hmm. hire a full-time dev they were going to hire a full-time dev i totally would have just shipped the rust version because they would have fi- they would have found a kick-ass rust dev to maintain <laughs> it because they would have been like one of three jobs in the world um but anyway there was a at, at the time there was this dangling pointer issue that i could not track down and was causing a really really hard to debug seg fault and mm. the rust port wouldn't compile and the act of porting it to Rust fixed that bug. Yes. But it was also through that process uh, that I, I really discovered. Like, I actually don't care that much about memory safety or performance because I come from Ruby and high <laughs> right. level languages. And it's like, these, if I cared about performance, I wouldn't be writing Ruby. And memory safety is just assumed for me because I mostly write garbage collected languages. <laughs> um, right. But that was sort of when I started to realize that Rust is, as I call it, a more practical Haskell mm-hmm. and that type system is a joy to use. Yeah, I came to Rust. Rust is somewhat similarly in that I've been doing a bunch of C and C++ on the one hand, and dealing with seg faults and buffer overruns was making me want to punch the wall. And Python, on the other hand, which performance was just not as as big a thing. And the first time I looked at Rust seriously, I remember working through the book and some of the examples and thinking, huh, this this might actually be the first language that I actually like well enough to use as a full-time language that isn't python that doesn't make me want to punch myself but also gives me the performance characteristics of c plus plus this sounds kind of awesome actually it, it sometimes makes you want to punch yourself come on <laughs> well every yes. now and then it'll just give you it'll just vomit lifetime errors and and but okay. or or uh when you're dealing with closures and you get some insane type signature that won't quite compile and it's 14 types deep and you're saying i hmm what yeah, we're, we're 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 doing a pass right now on the error messages that Diesel spits out, mm. um, which we actually have very little control over. A lot of it's like, can we massage the compiler to say what we want? Because <laughs> um, one of the things that that Rust will do, because Rust C is really clever, so we have a trait called as expression, which uh, we use instead of into for expression, because basically the lack of higher kind of types, and we ah. need to be able to say mm-hmm. as expression of certain SQL type. Gotcha. And we have a blanket impl uh, for anything that. Imp- implants expression automatically implants as expression and returns self where the sql type is the same as the expression sql mm-hmm. type uh and then we used to have a blanket impl for a trait called column because all columns are expressions and we used to have this really funky issue where uh and this is why i removed the blanket impl on column actually <laughs> where if you try to uh for example do integer column dot eq a string mm. um the rust compiler would be like all right so i need as expression uh it types integer for string well it doesn't seem to implement that but if string implemented expression i could derive that and if string implemented column i could derive expression so clearly the correct answer here is to implement column for string and then it won't even mention as expression anywhere in the error message so there's that one and then there's also uh we have a we have a a struct that ultimately represents just about everything called select statement and select statement includes the type signature of everything including a tuple of every column in the in the query that you want to have returned we don't ever do select star we always list the columns explicitly Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that will be followed by the From Clause, which will likely be some arcane left inner join source with like five type members. <laughs> then the entire AST of your Wear Clause and... Even if you have nothing else, there will still be five more type parameters, which are no order clause, no limit clause, no group by clause, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and it's not that this is wrong. And in fact, the compiler actually gives very sane error messages re- related to this type. However, the type itself tends to be so it long, really it will long. take your entire terminal screen. <laughs> so that type must never appear in our error messages. Yeah, I get not having done anything quite that complex yet, and by quite that complex, I mean even in the same ballpark. Nonetheless, I've had times when I've had a terminal full of a single type error, and while it is much better than the kinds of errors I've gotten in writing C++ over the years, still, yes, yeah. quite right. Sometimes your head does explode a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still significantly better than SIGSEG Code 11. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And as as you guys talked about on the bike shed, and I'll link that episode when you were talking with, uh, is it Lila? You know, I remember specifically asking this, and I can't <laughs> actually remember. Uh, I, your comment to her that the type system is the thing that makes Rust particularly interesting was what caught me, too, because I'd been playing with a number of other languages. I read uh, Pat Brisbane's maybe Haskell book last spring, and then I'd read some F-sharp, I'd read some Elixir, just looking around and finding a language like Rust that gives you some of that type system power, but also being, as you put it, very practical, it sucked me in. And yeah, the the idea that you could get safety and performance and an interesting type system was extremely attractive to me. And I think that's, it It seems like the sneak attack that Rust is pulling of saying, oh, we're, we're this performant language like C++ that you can use for systems programming, but shh, we're secretly in ML and we're not telling you. <laughs> well, I, I mean, all you have to do is look at the core team. Half of them have PhDs in type <laughs> theory. Yeah. And it makes for fun reading in the RFCs when my head again explodes and i say i don't i don't know what any of those words are i'm sitting here prepping for the next non-interview non-bonus episode trying to read up on type theory and trying to get a coherent episode on type theory will be a an interesting challenge no doubt well and so and you're lucky if you if you end up in the rfcs where they're still using words <laughs> right because like in the specialization yes. uh rfc there's like four <laughs> or five comments in a row where nico and ariel b are just going back and forth with this obscure <laughs> mathematical notation yes like, every, every time i try to read that thread i just lose it yeah well, it's like, it's, uh, math notation's the worst, because I'm reasonably well-versed in category theory, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm, um, I'm not actually, like, educated. I barely graduated high school, um, <laughs> but, and, but I, you know, I've, I've learned what I've needed to to get by, but then it's like when, when, when somebody goes with this mathematical notation and there's a symbol and you don't know what it means, you're just screwed. <laughs> you're you're out of luck. There's nothing you can do about this. Yeah, even coming from a physics degree background, there's quite a lot of times when I look at the math and think, Huh. I, yep, not tracking. I need to go look up and then I look somewhere online and it's kind of like the first time I tried to figure out what G4Tran was telling me for an error and it doesn't make any sense because it assumes so much prior knowledge. But I've learned an awful lot about type systems in the last six months. I can say that. Yeah. Well, especially this early in the in the language, right? Yeah. I mean, there's still just so much discussion going on around the extensions of a type system and really to be particularly involved, you have to learn about just the theory of type systems. Yeah. So you got going on diesel. What I mean, obviously, you you like sequel ish things since you 
ended up being the maintainer of one of the bigger ORMs out there. But what made you want to try it in Rust specifically? Well, so one, I don't really like SQLish things. I just <laughs> feel like at this point I'm kind of qualified. And yeah. Fair enough. Um, but uh, <laughs> basically, so the, so I realized that I kind of like Rust, and it seems like a really cool language. And right now everybody has it pegged as a better C Right. Or a uh, faster something. I don't even know what something is, is there, but like like something else but faster, mm-hmm. right? But it's in the it's in this weird uh and, and and this is partially also because every every other day you see somebody writing a new series of blog posts about writing an, an operating system in Rust. <laughs> uh right. And so everybody's got it pegged for like this really low level thing. But I like it for its type system. And I think that gives it legs far beyond where it's been pegged right now. Right. So I want to see it get pushed uh a little bit farther forward in higher level contexts. Mm-hmm. To me that means web development and an ORM seemed like a reasonable place to start on that. I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think as a web developer myself, that's attractive to me because iOS development or whatever else is certainly possible in it, though, of course, bridging to Swift is no joke. There's been a series of posts starting to make the rounds from the guys at Big Nerd Ranch talking about how you build an iOS app using Rust. And that's cool, but I'm not an iOS app developer. I'm a web developer who's writing JavaScript most of the time right now in a stack that involves C Sharp. Yeah, the more time I spend with Rust, the more JavaScript's type system makes me sorrowful. Uh, Yeah, well, it's also for for mobile development. Like, yeah, you can do all your business logic in Rust if if you really want to, but you still need to interact with Cocoa at some point unless somebody really wants to write a cross-platform GUI toolkit for mobile in rust which sounds like a terrible idea (laughs) yeah i cannot see that being a useful way to spend anyone's time so i know you've also mentioned on the bike shed interest in doing a full-on web framework what what would that look like in a high you know just kind of a high level for something like rust because the primitives look pretty different in certain ways because of the type system from something like a Django or a Rails, just because you're not dealing with dynamic types, you're not dealing with, you know, all of those things that we come to associate with, quote unquote, rapid web development. Sure. So um, it sort of comes out right now where the API is at is sort of coming out of two main angles. The first is a desire for a very strict separation between uh, what the endpoint does and how it's rendered. Mm. Now we're only we're only targeting JSON for version one, mm-hmm. uh, just because at the end of the day your business logic is the same regardless of whether you're rendering HTML or whether you're serving up a JSON API. But right. uh, implementing something that only does JSON <laughs> basically is a strict subset of the things you would have to implement if you were serving up uh, HTML. Right. So so we're starting there, but we're keeping kind of and then this will this seems like it'll work pretty okay for HTML kind of going in the back of our heads. So uh, the reason, the thing that's really cool about strictly separating those mm-hmm. is, uh, well, actually, I guess I have to set this up with both points. So the second part of it is, uh, have you done Rails much at all? I have looked at a lot of Rails, but that's all. Okay, so we have, uh, right, controllers, which have however many endpoints, and a controller is a class, and then every endpoint is a method on that controller, mm-hmm. um, referred to generally as a route. And we have a, a helper method in our routing uh, DSL called resources. So you would do, like, resources posts. And then that assumes that there's a class called posts controller that has seven methods on it. Um, index new show, index show, new, create, update, edit, 
and delete. Uh, right, and those are the the restful actions. Right. Actually, only five of those are restful. New and edit are endpoints that you would only hit to show the form for create and update, which are the actual restful actions. Right. So the second half of where our API is coming out of is, is asking, what if we only had that? Hmm. Like, what if we just didn't let you do things other than that because you can model the whole world that way right you 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 get rid of post slash one slash subscribe and instead get back post slash one slash subscriptions slash create or whatever the url actually ends up being right um but what's really cool about restricting it to that is you can build an api assuming a lot of cool stuff because when you combine that with the separation of rendering from data fetching uh when you get into things like and then i want to nest these right so you have post slash one slash comments so comments index needs the post well we can just get the post by calling posts show right and then actually just pass the post as an argument to comments index Mm -hmm. and let you reuse a lot of code that way so that's sort of what we're going for so kind of strip it down and then get the power out of having stripped it down in a way that makes sense out of the particular abstractions you're dealing with yeah in the world you're dealing with there yeah, it just sort of comes out of, you know, I've worked as a consultant for a long time, and it just sort of comes out of, hey, here's the patterns that have ultimately come out um, and seem to be the best practices in Rails and Django and Yasode and .NET. Yeah. Let's just maybe codify those. And ultimately, a lot of what, I'm doing, what I do is just try to make, make things safer and nudge users towards better design in their own applications as well. Yeah, which having spent a lot of years maintaining applications where design of the application itself or the interface, but even just of the application itself wasn't a consideration, much less a good consideration. When you can build that in at the front, I think that that helps a lot. If you can push people toward not having a 10,000 lines of intermingled PHP and SQL, have worked on that app. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we all have, haven't we? <laughs> or the 5,000 lines of C as a header file have worked on that app, too. <laughs> Yeah. If you can push things, and that's one of the reasons I find Rust interesting, and the approach Rust takes, I was explaining the trait approach to code reuse to a guy the other day who's mainly worked in Java and C Sharp and Python, and it kind of blew his mind a little bit because it was this idea that, oh, you could reuse code in that way instead, and oh, all of a sudden you're pushed toward composing things instead of having to use inheritance to accomplish this problem uh, this solution to a problem and that's one of the things i i'm very interested by in the sudden surge of interest in functional paradigms and in the interest in rust etc is how can coming at the problem from a different direction maybe solve some of the problems we have with trying to fit everything into one box and i like rust because it's in a in a sense multi-paradigm with that it's not going for strict functional purity it's not going for strict object-oriented purity i mean inheritance is coming sort of at some point but won't look exactly like what we've had in c plus plus or java for inheritance etc and so i'm interested to see how that plays out as well as languages like elixir which is doing something it's fun to watch all my ruby friends have light bulbs turn on repeatedly as they say oh there's there's something besides rails that's kind of awesome here and yeah taking that back then to what they're doing in rails etc yeah, no, it's real. Uh, it's really interesting looking at uh, what Jose and those guys are doing with with Phoenix and Ecto in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know that's definitely one of the places. They they seem to face similar problems, mm-hmm. um, just in that they're building... I mean, they're in a slightly different world in that Elixir is ultimately dynamically typed. Right. But just, I guess, building a, a functional-esque ORM mm-hmm. in 2015 or now in 2016... We seem to overlap a decent bit in, in sort of the problems that we're solving. So I've been talking to them a lot lately. What would you say? I mean, obviously, having a dynamic versus a static typing makes a pretty big difference there. But what would you say are kind of the big differences in how Ecto ends up? For for listeners who not, might not be familiar, Ecto is the uh, ORM for the Phoenix web framework on Elixir programming language, fairly analogous to what Sean's working on with Diesel, et cetera, here in Rust. What kinds of things are you guys learning from each other and or where do the differences show up in having? Uh, well, so one of the big ones that I'm dealing with right now is the feature I'm planning for 0.6, which is associations, which are mm. hard. <laughs> but it is one of the things that they've done very differently in Elixir, uh, both from uh, or in Ecto, rather, both from Diesel and from Rails, uh, in that their, their associations are ultimately closer to Rails than um than what we're going for in diesel i guess one of the things i should i should clarify so the way the way associations work in rails is a user has many posts and so you call the post method on user that loads your posts uh when you're loading up uh multiple records you can call a method called includes and that will eager load all the associations there's a very common thing that exists as a result of that api called an n plus one query bug where you forgot to eager load something and then you're uh, loading that association in a loop and so it does one query per parent record oh dear but ultimately right those associations i guess i this really only comes from like if you talk about linked lists in c but Mm -hmm. uh, i call those invasive associations (laughs) similar to how an an invasive linked list in c you have the pointer to the node on the struct itself right so associations in diesel are non-invasive ah so if you want a user in all of its posts you're going to get back a tuple of a user and all of its posts ah and then that's going to compose however you want to so if you so one of the examples that i like to use as we discuss various apis is the the hardest to reason about which is uh so you got user and user has many posts then you also have comments which are written by a user but belong to a post and so if you don't design the api correctly that introduces ambiguity because if you say i want uh i want a user i want to eager load the posts and the comments are you eager loading the comments for the posts written by that user or are you eager loading all of the comments written by that user right right and so whatever api we come up with needs to be explicit about that and then the return type will reflect that so if you wanted a user and all of the posts they've written and all of the comments that they've authored that would be a tuple of user vec post and vec comment whereas if you wanted a user and all of their posts and all the comments left on their posts then the type of that would be a, a tuple of user and a vec of tuple of post and vec comment right anyway so associations in ecto for are closer to rails however if you uh they do not lazy load the only uh because they have a better separation of their repository from their from their models itself there is not ah. a thread local connection in uh, ecto and however that method still exists and it just returns an error if you call it and, and you didn't eager load them. So one of the things that the example you gave here, as well as some of the other examples we've talked about so far, brings to mind is it feels like there's a lot more mental overhead right out the door writing Rust than, say, Ruby or Python for this kind of a thing, thinking about the kinds of types you have to return. Number one, are there ways that we can mitigate that but number two what are the upsides to that if you want to hear sean answer that question you'll have to come back for part two which should be up next week 
Thanks to Hamza Sheikh and Chris Palmer for sponsoring the show this month. You can see a full list of sponsors in the show notes. And if you'd like to sponsor the show yourself, you can set up recurring contributions at patreon.com slash neurostation, or you can give a one-off contribution at Venmo, Dwala, or cash.me. And keep your ears open. I have a few more opportunities coming up that way in the future, which may be friendlier if you're a business looking to support the show. You can find links to each of these to the other things Sean and I talked about on the show, including the bike shed, and in general, notes and detailed code samples illustrating things for other episodes at neurastation.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at neurastation, or you can follow me there, at Chris Kreicho. You can help others find the show by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, recommending it in another podcast directory, tweeting about it, or just telling a friend. Thanks again to everyone who's added corrections and fixed typos in the show notes. I love getting pull requests. I also love hearing from you. Definitely say hi to me or Sean on social media and add your thoughts in the thread for the episode on the Rust user forum at users.rustlang.org or you can always shoot me an email at hello at neurastation.com. Until next time, happy coding.